The COVID-19 pandemic and resulting quarantine clearly impacted all of our daily lives. And as cabin fever set in, we were all challenged to revisit how we entertained ourselves. Puzzles, Tiger King marathons, virtual happy hours, TikTok videos, they all became fairly commonplace as we coped with this new world order. Some of us took a different approach. And that's where today's guests come in. These gentlemen, along with myself, use this time as an opportunity to harness our creative talents and celebrate our love of cinema. And in doing so, we provided an outlet we didn't realize people desperately craved. My guests are Jim Kamlick and Nick Malone, and this is Back by Popular Demand. Welcome to the show, fellas. Um, first of all, Nick, we got to talk about the outfit. Now, I realize yeah. people can't see you, but my brother and I can. And I'm willing to bet that my brother is going to get the reference I'm about to make. You are wearing a blazer and a turtleneck sweater underneath it. And what I think, who I think you look like is Alec Baldwin at the beginning of Red October. He, uh, he, got, he got the call from you know the government in the middle of the night. He had to get on a plane to fly to the U.S. And I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to check this later, Pretty sure that he wore a turtleneck sweater with a blazer. Jim, what do you think? Well, I guess that's a good guess. I was thinking more Thurston Howell the Third, Gilligan's <laughs> Island, but that that works. Now that I, I feel like an idiot now that I didn't see it. Yes, definitely Alec Baldwin, Jack Ryan, first Jack Ryan. No, I'm I'm thinking you weren't going for that look, but anyway, um, I think it's fantastic. You look, you both look fantastic. So listen, um, a couple months ago when I started thinking about this podcast, um, I developed what I call my my content calendar, which is essentially a list of topics of, of, you know, different topics that I want to talk about in future episodes, as well as the guests. And I'll tell you guys, I drew a big circle around this episode. It's kind of like the, the athlete who circles a game on the <laughs> schedule versus a, a particular team that he may have a, you know, a personal interest in. So um, don't disappoint me, guys. I hope that you, uh, you, you do your best today. But listen, welcome. Um, why don't you guys yes. both say hi and, and tell our listeners what you guys do for a living. Jim, you start. You're going to make me go first? Sure. Um, I guess I am. Uh, I am the uh, the middle child of Dennis's family. I am. Uh, my name is Jim Kamlick. I reside in Germantown, Maryland. My social security number is O four. And I'm just kidding. Um, I am. Uh, I guess my day job um, is a. I was just recently promoted to vice president with Davis Construction, headquartered out of Rockville, Maryland. And I guess my team uh, builds uh, interior construction projects all over the DC marketplace. Nick Malone, coming in from New Rock City, uh, New Rochelle, New York. I have uh, been here for the last uh, nine years. Um, I am one of the uh, software as a service sales reps for Vimeo, which is kind of cool. Uh, basically, we're selling right now, we're selling video conferencing software in the middle of a pandemic where every company in the world has to work virtually. So, so Nick, uh, real quickly. You and your wife just had another baby. Your your third finally had a boy. You named your your son Maverick. Sure did for real, and that's not a joke for our listeners. You actually named your son Maverick. So let, should we Maverick. talk about your love of your love of Top Gun now? I mean, I'm assuming that's where it came from. I mean, you're spot on. Um, essentially, my thought process when naming all three of the kids was um, it's got to be a name that when it's in lights, it makes sense. You know, Maverick, obviously, like if you think about Maverick, the character Maverick, what guy 
on Earth hasn't watched that film and wanted to be freaking Maverick. Coincidentally, Nick, I, I was channel surfing two nights ago and I came across Top Gun. I think it was on one of the Showtime channels. Clearly, I watched it for a while. But here, so let me let me tell you guys something. So I'm going to tie it back. Um, you know, you're clearly his his goose, right? You know, he's Maverick. Oh, yeah. You're going to be his goose for the rest of his life, and you're his wingman. You never leave your wingman, as we all learned from the movie. Never. And I would say I would say that about you two guys. I think you guys are both my wingmen. Um, and That's I mean cool. that. And I know I'm, I know this is getting a little sappy, but I'm, I'm you know this is the bit. only sap we'll have maybe in this episode potentially. And uh, you know, my brother, you're my big brother. Obviously, you're, you've been my wingman my entire life. And Nick, you know, you're you're my wingman in a different way, more from a creative aspect in terms of our relationship over the last you know several years. But Jim, let's let's start with you. You know, you're my wingman. You let me uh, rest my head on your shoulder in the back seat of all the car trips that we took as his charge. I was always in the middle seat, the hump, and, you know, never really had a headrest. So your shoulder was my headrest. But I would say you're also like my movie going uh, wingman. You and I have seen more movies together than anybody else in my life, particularly in the the mid 90s when we, we were living together for a while. But um, how many movies do you think we saw a week back then? Oh, on average a week, we are probably like maybe 3.5 movies a week. <laughs> right. I mean, if you're looking for an average. Who had like who had remote access? Who was like the TV's on? Who controls the remote between the two of you? And if it's movie selection night, who has dibs on on first selection on what you're watching? Who's saying, all right, we're going, we're going, uh, you know, uh, aliens or versus somebody like, no, we're going to do uh, on Golden Pond or whatever nonsense. Like what what who had who had decision criteria of the Camlicks? First off, I'm counting on Golden Pond references. That's one. OBP one. Um, I don't know. I think Nick, that's a good question. But I think when you when you have similar movie tastes, I mean, when we're channel surfing and we come across the, the abyss, there really doesn't need to be a discussion. We just do what we call the remote throw, and that's it. Because basically, what we're saying is, you're not going to find better than the abyss. There's no argument. Put it down. So that's kind of what we fact. did. That's a fact. Thursday nights, you know, we already knew what we were going to watch. It was the whole NBC line up with friends and Seinfeld and ER. And that was just kind of the way it worked. So um, we were always aligned, but you know, when I worked in DC back when my brother and I lived together, I worked at an agency and I handled marketing for some of the film studios, 20th century Fox and Paramount. And um, by doing so, I did a lot of business with the different theater chains in, in the market. And I got this card and this was, you know, Jim, I think I had this card for maybe four years, I want to say. Um, my name was imprinted on it. And basically, this card, which was from Cineplex Odeon, which I guess today is Regal, and uh, it allowed me and a guest to go to any movie any day of the week for a dollar. Was that right? I think that's what it was, right? Yeah, it was, it was a dollar. There was definitely money that, that went across the counter, but it was just insequential. Amounts. And then every time you and I went to the window, which was often because like we would go and see two movies on a Saturday and maybe see a third on a Sunday and have Hamburger Hamlet in between. Um, a lot of times there was a lot of there was some there was confusion at the at the at the box Always office window. The poor, the poor kid didn't see that never saw this card before. He didn't understand what it was. He had to call his boss. How many times did that happen? Yeah, but you 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 kind of you provoked a lot of that because you put that card on the counter and like man, poor Skippy, he'd pick it up, he'd hold it up to the light, he'd see if he could see through it, and he's like, What am I supposed to do with this? And you're like, That's a universal card, that gets me in. And he's like, I don't know, let me bring Billy over. So then Billy is looking at it, and then they gotta go get the manager, and then yeah. like I'm like, Well, we can just pay, and you're like, We're not paying. This is the card, we're using this. 
I, I love the card. It was life changing. Nick, talk yeah. talk to everybody about our relationship. You know, you and I met in Atlanta. Um, as I said, you've been a, a creative partner in my life, and you and I talk a lot about um, our, our creative interests, as I as I would put it. But talk, tell everybody yeah. about how you and I met and uh, what the highlight of that was, because I know you know what it is. So, if if you are the listening public at home. Uh, you you can definitely relate to this. How many times has your significant other said, "We got to go on a dinner date with uh with uh, people you don't know"? That's kind of how it started. Like, oh great. However, within minutes of meeting Dennis, he's instantly the coolest guy I've ever met. Literally, he starts rattling off, "We like the same movies, we like the same sports," and he says, "I'm writing a script. He's writing a TV show." He's writing a TV pilot. That's that was my introduction, and all of a sudden he's got me. He's in, it's right in my wheelhouse. It's stuff I loved about, and and it was just really interesting stuff. So I said, you know, shoot me your script. I'd love to read it. I can't tell you how many times I've said that to the ears, and then either the person doesn't send the script or you send it and it's garbage, and you're like, I hope this person falls off a bridge because I never want to talk to this horrible person again. The opposite happened. This is the time the opposite thing happened. Dennis was writing a script. He sent it to me. I fell in love with it instantly. It was called off the menu. It became keep the bottle close. What ended up happening was basically Dennis would shoot me these scripts. I would read them. I'm a complete night owl. So I, I would literally read them and put up tons of notes on ideas, what I pulled from his script, what I got from it. And I think that's how we became the the buddies that we are nine years later. Now is literally from like diving through these scripts and like, covered through the minutia. Dennis is amazing at like putting t- triple meanings in, in basically every scene and so many other things that you could just kind of pull out of it. And it was just so rich. And I like the characters. I think he loosely based one of them on me. Um, and it was amazing. And we went back and forth. I wrote, you know, read these notes uh, or sent, sent these notes and read all these scripts and fell in love with the characters. And I put a bug in his ear that we should shoot this thing. And originally I'm thinking like, you know, because I'm kind of a knucklehead. I'm thinking like we're going to go out and and get some cheap cheapo camera and maybe, you know, get Jim to hold a boom mic and, uh, you know, we'll shoot this in somebody's backyard or something. Um, but I was like, we should shoot this. These things need to come to life. And long story short, Space Station gets involved. The amazing Matt Mills, Chris Vivian produced this thing into what turned into Keep the Bottle Close. We had an Emmy Award winning production company shoot this thing. We had real actors in it. We had, I mean, it was. You were in it. You were in it. You had a role. I had a role, like the role uh, Danny Bates, the the best character I ever played. Like literally, like it all came to life. We shot this thing and we did it. And it and where it started, late night back and forth over ideas of scripts and stuff. And that and that that's kind of long story short. But the pilot never saw the light of day. I mean, we tried to get it off the ground, but you know, like the like most things, it's awfully hard to do in the in the business. But um a great experience. And you and I still have that, that dialogue to this day in terms of going back and forth on, on different things. Um, guys, I want to pivot. I know, you know, so today's episode is all about our love of film and we're going to get into that in a moment, but you know, let's do a little bit of level setting. So, um, let me ask you both, Jim, I'll start with you. Do you remember what the first movie was that you saw in the theater? I'm going to come back to that question, but first I need to give you some, you talked about sap earlier. So yep. I had a sappy moment that involved you this morning, and I'm going to tell you what it is right now on your podcast live. Ooh, I love this. I love this. 8.15 a.m. I've got two job site stops. I'm going to go down to 200 Mass Avenue. I'm going to work my way back out of town. I am sitting at the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue and 6th Avenue waiting at a light. The question is this, Dennis Kamlik, 
What is noteworthy about that intersection? I'll say it again. Sixth Avenue, Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest. I know you know it. Pennsylvania and sixth. I'm going to, and I'm going to give you a hint because you only have limited time. We spent about eight hours. Oh, on I know what it is. What is it? I know exactly what it is. That was where planet Hollywood was. The planet Hollywood grand opening. When we went to the red carpet Ooh. and we staked it out about 12 hours before it started. And we went down and got choice seats. Remember that? Yep. That was wow. back when planet Hollywood was a big deal. They were opening up the one in DC and I think Bruce Willis was there and Schwarzenegger and everybody. Right. Well, it was. It felt like it was like the day I'm going to be on my brother's movie podcast. I was like, I'm looking up there, and like that was such a great day. And we were high fiving each other, and like, well, this is this is our brush with celebrity. And like, when they they announced Stallone, and Stallone didn't come. Nick, he didn't come down the red carpet. He he came through the crowd, and we're like, no way. Of course, of course, Stallone is coming through the crowd. He's like, I'm not going to come down. You want me on that red carpet? I'm going to come through the crowd. And we went just and people. And Bruce Willis's band played. It was a whole thing. And now I'm going to get back to your question, which the answer is, I don't remember the first movie that I've ever seen. But I'm going to tell you this. Here's a dream. I wish that I had a movie journal that I had every entry for every movie that I've ever had in my life that I could go back and I could see the day I saw it, what I thought of it, who I saw it with. I thought about doing it for my kids because I was like, they'll, they'll thank me someday. They'll be 30 years old someday. They'll be like, so you're telling me that you started this, Dad, you started this when you took me to see Toy Story 3 on Father's Day when I was one years old. Yes, Oliver, I did. I was that kind of a father. I didn't do it. But I did come up with a, I did come up with a movie memory that was good. 1974, I would have been nine-ish. Um, we went to see The Towering Inferno. Dennis, I'm not sure if you remember that or not. But it was, you know, it was, it was big hype. I mean, it was a catastrophe film, whatever. And Roger Kamlik, our dad, he's like, you know, this is a big thing. They're showing the commercials. We're going to go see Towering Inferno. And I remember, like, in my kid mind, there wasn't a lot of, like, checking of times and, like, making, like, w- what time should we leave, whatever. And he's just like, don't worry. It's all going to work out. So we go there. And I guess movies were different then. Like, they would just kind of re- put them on repeat. You know, they would just roll them over. So I remember walking into the theater. We got all the popcorn. We got everything. We walk in, and the building's on fire. And I'm like, what? Like, the building's already on fire. And my dad's like, what's the problem? I'm like, well, it's already going. Like, we already missed the – we don't even know why the fire started. Yeah, and we'll watch the whole thing. And then when it starts again, we'll stay to this part. And and I'm like – I'm like, what are you talking about? So, like, to this day, like, to this day, I am genetically incapable of going to a movie late. And every time I think of that, I when I don't think there's enough time, I think of Towering Inferno. I'm like, I won't ever see a movie that's already started. I just won't. I won't. I won't. I'm so stubborn. I'll never see that movie. I To this yeah. day, I haven't seen any given Sunday because they started the movie early at the theater per my watch. Still haven't seen it. I won't see it, Nick. You should see it. Scenes. I mean, before, before I throw it to Nick, I, I would say my movie, my first movie memory involves dad too i guess i I remember seeing star wars and i know that was what 77 yep Um, i remember seeing that in the theater vaguely i I remember mom taking me i think you guys went to great adventure or something and i was too young to go and i was pissed off so she took me to go see that so that was it but i do remember dad taking us to see apocalypse now which was probably around the same time i think that maybe maybe it was a little bit later 79 something like that um and I remember, I, I don't know why we were there. I, I, I remember mom being really upset that he took us to see it. And, for obvious reasons. and how long did that last? We weren't there long, right? We weren't there long. I mean, I think, I think that Sheen had just got to Vietnam. And then I think we're like, yeah. we're out of here. Nick, your first movie memory in the theater. What was it? Yeah, I remember it vividly. The, uh, my dad took me to see Top Gun, which is probably the better answer when you ask, why would you name your kid Maverick? 
Top Gun was like the movie, the first time I ever went to a cinema and saw a flick with my dad. The ultimate, my dad's also a career naval officer. So I'm looking at Maverick. I'm thinking, that's my dad. That's my dad is that guy. And like, that was pretty cool, right? That, so that was the one and, and it, it lived up to it. And I don't know what, I don't know if I've ever met a person that doesn't think Top Gun was the coolest freaking movie of the eighties at the time. So, so guys, let's talk about the pandemic. We've all been um, stuck inside for the better part of this past year and everybody's experienced some form of, of cabin fever and, you know, TV viewing is on the rise. Streaming numbers are on the rise and, you know, people are stuck at home. So uh, what were you, what did you guys do to pass the time with you and your families for the most part? Like, what was your go-to thing? Was it TV? Was it movies? Was it games? I was just curious. Nick, you go first. I mean, I got to be honest. Like, my kids are a little younger. Uh, you know, I got a six-year-old, four-year-old. There was a lot of like, um, well, let's go to a random uh, park and walk, like, for, for a while. It'd be like, and hopefully there's nobody else there. If we see anybody else, we got to go back home. It was a lot of like that. The kids, like, for the most part, my six-year-old will watch a TV show. Uh, the four-year-old will not. So there was like the idea we're going to do Netflix and chill was like uh, it's a hard pass in, in that road. They're, they want to see friends. They want to play. They want to go out. So it's just a lot of like there's four walls. They're closing in on you. Let's go outside when you can. And there was only but so many freaking options. And and basically like talking to people like that, no. And the other thing that sucked, and this is what we we can kind of get to it. I'm sure, you know, obviously we will. But the other thing that people started doing in the in the beginning of it all was like, oh, let's you know, let's meet up with our old high school friends and do like a Zoom call, and um, and, and that ended up being like you get on, but like, what did you do today? Same thing you freaking did. Nothing. I sat in the house and didn't do a damn thing. You know exactly what I did. Like, I did what you did. What are you asking me for? And then you'd get on these work calls, and they'd ask you on Monday, what'd you do all weekend? How was your weekend? My weekend was terrible. I sat in the house and didn't do a damn thing. What are you asking me for? You know what I did. You did the same thing. What are you even asking me for? And, like, literally, that was It's just like, I don't want to get on Zoom. If I'm going to get on Zoom, it's just going to be a bunch of people saying, like, how was your day? My day was terrible. Like, don't even bother. I didn't want to know. I don't, like, you don't need to know. And I'm not going to ask you because it's rude. And that, that was pretty much like the infancy of the pandemic was four or five months of people saying, like, what are you doing? Like, somebody's cracked the code and is doing something when everybody else is just sitting around, like, not doing jack diddly squat. So nobody, nobody cracked the code. But Jim, Jim, did you guys crack the code in Maryland? I don't think we cracked the code. I would know it if I cracked it. Right. I mean, they send you something, you know. Yeah, you know, when you, know. Crack it, you get you get like a, a medal in the mail or something. Because Amazon's delivered. Amazon's delivered so much stuff here. I feel like if there was some kind of certification for the code being cracked. <laughs> It might have gotten mixed up with all the other stuff I bought during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Easily, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so listen, I mean, Nick Nick brought up the Zoom thing. So I want to talk about that because I know the virtual happy hours became a really big thing. I yeah. would even say like maybe pretty much right away. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were meeting up with their friends and having drinks. I admittedly did that with a few of my, my college buddies a couple of times. And, um, but, you know, midway through the year, I remember having a conversation with my brother. You know, we had a particularly tough summer with our family conversation for another day and um jim you had mentioned to me at one point you know when things kind of calmed down that we should do a reading a screenplay reading of glenn gary glenn ross which is both of our one of our favorite movies we we quote the hell out of it as as most men do and um you know and you, you kind of planted the seed and we talked about it i'm like yeah that'll be fun we'll, we'll get a bunch of our friends and we'll all play one of the roles and and we'll do it but it kind of like it kind of just went away we didn't really get into it and then i think it finally resurfaced maybe in the fall and you started getting a little bit more serious about it. Like, let's let's do this. So um, I'm stealing your thunder, but you this was your idea. So tell tell everybody about where how that started and what came from that because this is what we're going to talk about today. 
Well, I feel like um, with my thunder being stolen, I think it was. I think it was yeah. just that. I think we. I was like, what's going to look like? And I think what Nick just said was right. We were, you know, we're getting on Zooms as a society. We're just looking at each other. And I said, well, what would it be like if we actually, instead of doing just the Zoom where we're all drinking together and laughing, what if we had like an organized thing and we rallied around something? So you and I have been talking about doing Glenn Yuri, Glenn Ross. We know enough people in our inner circle that we could assign roles to. You and I both kind of grabbed some quick roles. And then we, uh, you know, then I was off and running. And then I think our biggest problem with that was, you know, trying to get the script um, because every search that you do for the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross script, it takes you to the Broadway show and it doesn't take you to the film script. So um, you found it and I will give props out to you. You spent a considerable amount of time taking the, the the Broadway script and translating it for our Zoom call and you recreated it into the, uh, you know, you put the uh, Alec Baldwin part back in and, and the way it should be. And then uh, what we ended up being the self-appointed producers of the thing. And we uh, started assigning roles. We didn't have casting. We're just like, hey, Todd Seahorn, shout out Todd Seahorn. Todd Seahorn would love to do it. He loves that movie. And uh, then it was kind of off and running. I, I don't I don't think there was any more magic than that, other than the fact that we're like, I think people will embrace us. I think they'll be weirded out. But then I think once they see that we're just a bunch of guys and girls trying to have fun, I think it'll be embraced. And it, that was exactly that. You referenced the screenplay transcription, the word I like to use. And listen, it was a it was a complicated process because you know you, we could have easily just found the screenplay and just assigned everybody roles and just read off of that version of of David Mamet's you know script. But you know, going back to our love of movies, you know, we wanted to do the version that we're all familiar with, right? The one that we all saw in the theater, the one we all saw in video, and and the, obviously the Baldwin uh, role alone is is one that everybody quotes. We wanted to make sure we had that version. So what I decided to do. Um, and I've done this on all of the ones we've done since then. And at some point, I'm going to pass the baton to one of you two idiots because I need I need somebody else to do this besides myself. Because when you when you're about to hear what I'm what I'm about to tell you, you'll realize how crazy this is. But what I did is I followed the movie essentially second by second, and I had a, I'd, I'd hit play on my Blu-ray, and I would like I would let like five seconds unfold. And then I would hit pause and I would literally type whatever I just heard, whatever character, whatever scene. And then I would hit play and then I would do it again. And a lot of times you had to listen to each scene, you know, or each line of dialogue, I should say, three or four times before you actually got it. Yeah. Because Mamet wrote so fast and, and there's so much fragmentation in his writing that you and then the way Jack Lemon performed things was vastly different than Al Pacino. So you had to, like, play each line over and over again. It took me a week. To literally take, uh, I know you did. And listen, like, and the funny thing is, like, it, it made me appreciate the brilliance of that movie in so many different ways. Not only the writing, which is tremendous, but the, the performances and how each actor, the, the the visual ticks, all the little things that they do that you don't really necessarily think about sometimes. But when you watch a movie as obsessively as I did when I did that, um, you know, so obviously I felt ninety nine percent confident that the final script that we all read was was the the film version, and maybe yeah. there was a few typos here and there. But um, so that was that was the starting point, Jim. Um, Nick, you were involved. You played the Alec Baldwin character. I, I can't believe we gave you that. That was a the plum role. Um, you did a, you did a great job with it. But um, it, it seemed so. We had you know, Glenn Gary was kind of a small movie, not a lot of characters, right? Which was what was great about it. It was fairly contained. And then we started kind of opening up the the aperture a little bit, and we we started going a little bit bigger. Um, Jim, Nick, tell me, you know, what was what what movies did we do after that? 
I'd say, well, what was interesting about that from my perspective, when you said we're going to do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and, and the whole deal, like you had no idea kind of like what it was going to kind of snowball into. But really, if you take a step back, it was like, you know how many times in sales rooms I've heard people quote the Alec Baldwin monologue? It was kind of like, hey, here's your chance to in a room full of people play that famous monologue. And that's kind of what this whole thing is. Essentially, the uh, this whole screening series things has turned into like, how about you get to play your favorite movie role in one of these epi- uh, epically famous film scripts and you guys get to do it. And what I think we've managed to do so far, the four scripts we've done this for, we did it, we started Glen Gary and then it pivoted over to, obviously to Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs. Um, it's these scripts with these big ensembles with big personality, big characters. So we did dogs or Reservoir Dogs next. Uh, then it was right around the holidays and we did Christmas story and then we just did oceans 11. Um, but there's these massive ensembles in every script we've done so far, which lent itself to you guys saying, let's broaden the net here. Let's get some, let's get some other people in. And that's where I think it took an interesting, I think it took an interesting shift because I feel like at first it might've just been like, Hey, we really like Glenn Gary, Glenn Lawrence. You want to read it? And everybody been like, yeah, maybe. And then people could have said like, yeah, that was fun. And I'm done. That's not the reaction that everybody had. We did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and then everybody wanted to do it again. And other people saw that we did it and they wanted to be a part of the next one and everybody wanted in. And then it was like, it was like this, what you managed to do is figure out everybody wants to be, everybody wants to read one of these characters and there's no pressure. It's a reading, right? The script's right there in front of you. There's a, there's a lot to unpack on this because this, this thing really started to take on a, a life of its own, which was far beyond, I think, what we probably envisioned when we first started doing this. But first, first question is talk about like the, the rush that we all feel when we do this, right? Because like we've all played big roles, right? And, yeah. you know, I think I'm speaking on behalf of both of you guys, but like once we wrap up, there's like this feeling of, of excitement and energy that like th- that was, you know, a shit ton of fun. Yeah, I, I totally feel the same. And I think going off of what Nick just said, I think the first time out of the shoot, I don't think that Dennis and I knew what to expect. And I think right. that I was looking at all the faces on the Zoom and I'm like, did they think that sucked or was that good? Because I thought it was good. Was it good for you? Was it good for me? And I think that the response back, like my buddy Andy, shout out Andy. Um, Andy, the man. My buddy Andy, like the first thing he did was send out an email to me and said, we got to do it again. That was just a rehearsal. Yeah. Let's do it again. And I said, no, we're not doing it again. We're moving on to another movie. Like, we're not in this for, like, we're not perfecting a craft. We're a bunch of losers on a Zoom on a Thursday night with computers open. It's it's no more than that. But we want it to be, we want it to be more than that without it being more than that. And I think that the Ocean's Eleven thing, I, I don't know, I not to sound theatrical, but I feel like I had an out-of-body experience. I mean, right. we just did it last Thursday, and it was just such a... You know, I was texting, you know, on the side with people and I was texting my brother and I'm like, this is just off the chain good. People's faces as they're doing it because they feel like they're part of something greater than themselves, as corny as it sounds. It's it's uh, it was a perfect night for me. Perfect night. If you were to bottle it, it's 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 eerily similar to the feeling of, you know, if you're a theater guy opening night of a production. The show's over for the first time. You did it. That adrenaline rush. Every everybody, let's go out to the bar afterwards and and grab something. Let's go. You know, we just did this show, and it's that pure, you know, joyous yeah, adrenaline. One of the things I noticed, like when we did Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, that was kind of our our beta, right? And you know, we we did a good job with it. We probably could have done some things better that night. But then I think when we did Reservoir Dogs, 
one of the one of the things that my brother and I did, and Jim and I actually have casting calls about these things where we actually hop on the phone and we talk about, all right, who do we think should play this person, this person? And we kind of assigned roles, right? And this was before people started reaching out asking to be a part of this, which we're, I'm about to get into. But uh, with Reservoir Dogs, you know, we brought in some new people. So we, we had a couple people return from Glengarry. But then with dogs, we brought in a couple new faces. And then that was the first time I noticed that this was turning into something because all the guys that played the color characters all dressed up. And everybody wore their black blazer and their white shirt and the black tie. I, I was Harvey Keitel, Mr. White. And, you know, it just seemed like it went to that next level of preparation where people really wanted to own their character. Um, you know, Nick, you were a nice guy, Eddie, and you dressed like nice guy, Eddie, the way he had that crazy jacket that he wore in the movie. And and then when we did a Christmas story, which we did right before the holidays, that really took it to the next level. Because, again, we brought on some new faces and everybody was dressing up. And again, we've made it really clear from the beginning that dressing up is not <laughs> mandatory. It's not something you need to do. But a lot of people just saw the, you know, the, the opportunity to have a lot of fun and just kind of like leave everything at the door and like, let's just own this character tonight. And I mean, you know, I remember Juicer, John Carpenter, he had uh, the, the, the aviator glasses he wore as that one kid. And oh my just, God. Like, and then and to, to your point, Jim, Ocean's Eleven was kind of like you know, we, we've hit our, our high mark so far. Um, it, it just went to a whole other level in terms of people's preparation. Um, there was a lot of spontaneity, Nick particularly. and I think, uh, I think the bar has been raised. And I think that, uh, like you said, with Reservoir Dogs, when, when all of a sudden all the screams start popping up and you see everybody in costume. And then again, last Thursday with Ocean's Eleven, when the screens start popping up and everybody's like, you can see how, how embraced they are in their character with the costumes and the props. It is a it is a new level, and it you know, and I know I don't want to steal our thunder for later on in this podcast, but it's you know, it's it's challenging to try to come up with something that could match the 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 intrigue and the excitement of Ocean's Eleven because I really enjoyed myself. Oh, we're gonna top it. It's it's a hundred percent fact we're topping it. That it was it was the high water mark, but dude, that water's going high. We're talking we're talking tidal wave high. It almost kind of took on like this element of like not only everybody's doing it, they're not like, Oh, this is fun. They're all kind of thinking what, what's my role in the next one. It's growing. It's turning into like, uh, for first it seemed like a cool book club and then it turned into something else. And it's, it's, it's edgier. It's almost something more like it's like fight club. It's like, no, I want to do it. And I really want to, everybody's thinking like, I want, I want a lot of lines next time. And I want to have a big, big moment in this. And it's like people turning into like the movies that you dreamed about as a kid. It's your chance to play that guy in the film, you know, it's that kind of vibe and it's people like, they're not only just saying like, yeah, maybe I'll casually do it again. They're like, I want more to do in the next one. Cause I love that so much. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things I noticed, which I found fascinating is when we started promoting, you know, reservoir dogs and, you know, again, we obviously use social media and we post all the photos of the zoom session. And, and I remember one of my former colleagues reached out to me that day and he sent me a private message and he's like, he's like, put me in coach. I got to be in the next one. Like, he's like, I don't care what movie you guys are doing. I got to be a part of this. He's like, I can't believe you're doing this. He's like, how long have you guys been doing this? I'm like, we haven't been doing this that long. It's, it's a, it's a fairly new thing. He's like, I got to be in it. And then I remember like, while we were doing Christmas story, I was getting, you know, real time texts from some of our readers. You know, she had sent my friend, Emily, she sent me a, a note that night while she was doing it. And she was like, I, I've had a really bad week and I can't tell you how much I needed this. Like, this is just so fun. And then I, th I think I'm speaking on behalf of both of you guys when I say that, like, after we wrap one of our readings, you know, my phone is like lighting up. I mean, like I get a text <laughs> from everybody. I mean, every every guy, every woman that's in our in our cast, they all text me and say, 
Thank you again. What a great evening this is. I can't believe that you guys do this. I can't wait to do it again. And like, yeah. I feel like joking aside, like, why do you think that is? Like, do you feel like this is just like, we all secretly want to be actors. It's just like, yes. we want to, we want to play make believe. Like there seems to be like a, 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 an itch that this thing is scratching for a lot of people. I think that, I mean, Jim, you've got to relate to this, right? You theater guys, right? If you've ever done a show, the elect, the, the fun of being an actor in a show, you're getting a taste of it. And it takes like, it's almost like it takes it. It's like, it's like if you're bowling and you got the bumpers up, everybody's good at it. That's kind of what happens in a reading. You take a lot of like the really difficult elements of, of doing something. It's like you're reading a script right in front of you in front of the thing. And you, and it kind of frees you to take big wild choices on the reading and people do make big, wild choices because you've got the total safety net of it's just a Zoom call. Um, and people are like, you're getting the vibe of like what it's like to actually act a character out in front of an audience. Now, the audience is us. It's us doing it in the community. So it's a super safe room. Everybody's kind of everybody's kind of vulnerable because we're all kind of doing it together. So uh, but you're still getting that. I'm performing in front of a crowd. I'm playing a character in front of a crowd. And it happens to be really iconic characters. Um, which is even cooler than, than maybe yeah. some of like the little theater you might have done somewhere else. But you're getting though you're getting that. Like I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to actually get to actually get the vibe. Of some of like the really rewarding parts of acting without some of the more tra- challenging parts of it. And you know we're bringing in people that um, that don't know each other. I mean, yep. this isn't all people that we went to third grade with. This is people that you know you know from the market, and I know, and friends and whatever. And we're putting them on the screen, and they understand that like there's no awards being given out. It's just a bunch of people coming to have a good time. But I think you get you get jazzed up, and like Nick, you referenced the theater before. It's like you know when the when the show is over and you do curtain call. And, you know, you take the applause in because all, all actors like the applause. But then, like, once, you know, once you break and you get out of your costumes, you're just jazzed up. Like, and that's why actors yeah. like, are we going out? Where are we going out? Because, we're like, going. you're just jazzed up. You can't just go to bed because you're all jazzed up. And, like, you're right. It's it's the, it's the same feeling that after doing this. That's what I felt last week. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I one of my friends from Ocean's Eleven, he he sent me a text that night. And he's uh, he said – you know, he did uh, Reservoir Dogs as, as well. And he said, you know, this reading tonight and the night from from Dogs are two of my favorite nights of my life over the last six months. <laughs> and, I, and I think he meant, I think he just meant that, you know, we're all going through some tough times yeah, between, yeah, you know, are. the pandemic and what have you and that, you know, and he, as he put it so eloquently, he said, you guys are giving us a gift with this, with this reading initiative. And I was, I was kind of touched when, when he wrote that, but Nick, you talked about the criteria of, of, of the movies we choose. And I want to get into that, but let's take a quick commercial break. This episode of back by popular demand is sponsored by the waffle company, the first ever get and give pet bed company in the world, which means for every bed sold, they donate a bed to a shelter dog in need. That just makes me smile. Those who know me will tell you how much I respect animal rescue and I adore my two boxer rescues, Sammy and Gabby. And trust me when I say that they love their waffle bed. My dog dad stock went up big time when their waffle arrived. Whether I'm watching a favorite movie, a baseball game, or listening to music, one of them is always lounging on their waffle, gnawing away on their favorite shark chew toy. Waffle beds are made with organic cotton canvas and filled with pure K-pop cotton, which is lightweight, hypoallergenic, and eco-friendly. The beds come with two washable exterior layers that are very easy to reassemble once clean. It looks brand new every time I wash it. Look, you love your dogs. I sure love mine. And we'll pretty much do anything in the world for them. So get them a waffle. By doing so, you're ensuring a shelter dog can sleep better at night. And that should make you sleep better at night. 
Order them at waffleco.com. It's spelled just like the breakfast waffle, but with an O. Again, that's waffleco.com. And as a thank you to listening to this podcast, be sure to use the promo code Dennis20 to receive a 20% discount on your purchase. The Waffle Company is based in Columbus, Ohio, and all of its products are made with great care right here in the USA. Okay, let's get back to the pod. Okay, so criteria. Now, I stand behind the four that we've done so far. They're all phenomenal choices in their own right. But I had asked each of you guys as, as homework to, to, you know, let's let's talk about the movies that we choose, why why they're the right choices. What, what, are, what are the boxes that these films need to check? Jim, start it off. But I, I think that this list has evolved in the four that we've done. So, I mean, if you would have asked me this question after Glenn Geary, I might have only had two items on there. But now... Um, in my list is, you know, an ensemble cast. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I call it a rewatchableness quality. I know Dennis, you and I are big fans of the rewatchable podcast, but I mean, it's gotta be a movie that's, that's, you know, that's, it's in everybody's quiver that it's yeah. quotable and all that kind of stuff. My next one was heavily quoted. I mean, here's a new one that I've added, but costumes and or prop friendly, because I got to tell you what, when you take a smaller part, there's a lot of watching the entertainment going on. Um, Ocean's Eleven, my, my buddy Chris Condon, you know, he was the amazing Yen. He's got two lines. I mean, he's got, he's got two lines, but the prep that Chris put into getting ready for all of the props and, and all that, the, the pratfalls and all that stuff. And you'd be like, well, how does a pratfall convey during a Zoom call? And when he told me the week before what he was going to do, I was like, I don't know if that's going to work or not because, you know, unless people are looking right at the box, well, it didn't take long for people to focus on Chris's box because they knew yes. he was going to be doing, he's biting through the the gauze and all that stuff. Um, I think it's got to be a dialogue-driven um, script. And then my last one, you know, it has to be fun. Um, not saying it has to be a comedy. Ocean's Eleven wasn't a comedy, but it has to have a fun quality to it. Um, but those, that's, I guess, my simple criteria. I, I would definitely second a lot of that. I feel like when I first thought about this, you chose Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross to be the first one. So my in, immediate thought was this will only work with maybe theatrical plays turned films. Because I thought my first thought was it's simple. It's one location. Also, it's going to be dialogue heavy, not action heavy. If you do a play turned film, typically it's going to be super character driven. It's going to be super wordy and it's not going to be because you know the other thing is when we do these things there's a narrator that's reading like the the i guess what would be stage directions but it's film so it's you know reading up you know like the setting and all that stuff and so you really want to get to the actors really want to get to the part so if you're doing something that's like just pages of action it ain't gonna work yeah i mean the only thing i would add to that I, I totally agree with both of you i think you know the quotability factor as jim mentioned it needs to be a movie that is very quotable and, and what i mean by that is really like movies that we all know pretty well right these yeah. need to be like lines that i think everybody sort of knows if you run, in, run into somebody at a party and you start quoting when harry met sally you know that that is you know it, it's, it's pretty easy for you to start to kind of throw out some of the dialogue from that film and i think that that has to go and I, nick i completely agree with you that i think that it needs to be movies that have fairly limited or like intimate settings right you know jim and i one of our favorite movies is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And while I would love to read Raiders of the Lost Ark, I don't think that's the right movie to do. It's, it's, it's too 
all over the place. To, to your point, Nick, there's too much action. There's too much setup. And I think our, our narrator would be reading way too many scene descriptions for that. And it's just, it's just not going to work. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it needs to be a movie that we all love. And, you know, what the best thing about movies is that movies are very subjective. And, and, you know, my brother and I have seen so many movies together, but there's movies that we disagree on. Right. You know, and as you know, as I thought, I thought about more movies that we would want to do. I always say to myself, is this a movie that would, that Jim will like? Right. Because if he doesn't like it, then why are we going to do it? Like it needs to be a yeah. movie that we all agree that yeah. this is one of our one of our top films. So, right. Um, I gave you guys I gave you guys some homework before oh going to this uh, this podcast. Um, we just finished Ocean's Eleven. Um, we have been doing a reading pretty much on an every month basis. So right now we need to decide what our next movie is, oh. which is a really, really big deal. Um, and what I decided, what we agreed to is that we're each of us, we're going to come up with five movies. Um, what are the, what are the five that you think that we need to do next? Um, and I asked you guys to, you know, make the case for your five, um, lay us some dialogue, you know, g- give us a, give us a reading, give us something, um, really try to sell us. And, uh, none of us have seen each other's lists. That's for the record. I have not seen your list, Jim. I have not seen yours, Nick. Um, we've teased each other a little bit over, over text, but we have not conveyed anything. And uh, what I what I think we should do is let's just go round by round. Um, we'll start with number five, uh, and then we'll go down. And at the end of this podcast, we need to make a decision on what we're going to do next. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are waiting <laughs> for that decision, so we can and get they started. Are waiting, be patient, people. We're working yeah. on it. We're doing the Lord's work. I'm pretty confident that one of my five is going to be the decision. That's all so I got to say. So the plan is we're going to go each other's five, then four, leading up to the penultimate or ones. No, let's you you decide your order. I don't care the order. You guys, if you want to do it in order of preference or whatever it is, um, but we're going to start at number five. We're, we're each going to do a movie, and then we're going to go to four and so forth. So, Nick, give us give us your number five. My number five I choice. Feel like, I feel like I feel like I want to say that one of my movies is going to be the pick. What, he's he's throwing down, Nick. Well, obviously, <laughs> obviously, you can throw your list away because if I start talking with my list, obviously, I, I'm a man of the people, and the people want to hear mine. Um, I think you got to give us the quote. You got to give us the quote first. What do you think you are, for Christ's sakes? Crazy or something? You know, crazier than the other assholes on the street walking around. Number five choice. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I will. I will tell you that it, that is also on my list. <gasps> um, I did not think that we were going to have an overlap this quickly in this conversation. But is it on wow. yours as well, Jim? I don't, I'm not saying anything. I got, I've all got right. a piece of paper here and on if you know, it's all good. Let's just keep going. All right. Well, I'm not going to take Nick's thunder on one flew over to go, go ahead and make the case for it. But I just wanted to say that it's on my list as well. Can I, can I just tell you how cool I feel that I am now that I had a Dennis movie on my list? Because honestly, Dennis's movies list are a hell of a lot more pretentious than mine. Like that is cool. If Dennis likes a movie that I like, well, that's saying, that's saying, that's saying a good thing for old Nick Malone. That movie predates you. 1975 it predates you. It's got the perfect thing. I'm talking about character actor roles. It's that ensemble. It's an ensemble flick with a bunch of big characters for people to play. Even if you have three lines, you get in costume, you get into the character of who you are. This is something we can sink our teeth into. It was a play turned film. It's got iconic stuff. Whoever's going to play R.P. McMurphy, my goodness, you know, Billy, Nurse Ratchet. Like, we've got big-time characters to, t- to tackle in here. I feel like it checks all the boxes. It's super quotable. 
It's super iconic. It's a big time movie. If you told your friends and relatives that you're going to do a production of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, they'd all want tickets. Everybody would want a piece of it. And I only, the only other thing I would add to that is that it also won the Oscar for Best Screenplay, and I think that that carries a little bit of weight in the uh, decision tree. Um, anyway, um, I'll, I'll talk about that movie in a minute when I get my turn, but Jim, go ahead. So just, just are we still talking about Cuckoo's Nest? So Cuckoo's uh, Nest. Can, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, really, really quick. So Cuckoo's Nest was, I was told that I was allowed to have an honorable mentions list, and that is the number one on my honorable mention because I didn't know it was from 1975, but I did my research I had it as a possible, what I would call 10 leads, you know, including, you know, I don't know if I said Cheap Room was a lead, but I think it was because each one of my movies, I looked at you know, how many, you know, primary speaking parts are there. Um, I guess my only concern with that is, is it too dated to do? Because now one of our criteria is we want it to be quotable. I'm a man of 55 years. Okay. My brother, you're soon to be a man of, well, that's your business. But, <laughs> but the question is, you know, we don't, we don't have, we have not had a lot of, what I would call young people. I mean, Nick, you're probably tipping the scales on our, on our young side, but is it, is it a movie that we pitch to people and they're like, well, I never heard of it. I don't want to do a movie that I've never heard of. So, you know, I don't think looking at the faces in my mind of the people that are on the zoom, I think we're fine. I think we could find 10 people in a heartbeat that have done it. But I mean, I think maybe that would rule some people out just a concern. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. There is that there is that element of of age where you know I think most of our most of our readers are definitely on the upper end. But I do agree that there might be a few people that might not have seen it or maybe not appreciate the film like we do. So cast yourself in Cuckoo's Nest, Nick. Who would you want to be? Come on, we're Ooh. all friends here. Billy, we're all <laughs> Billy. <laughs> I knew you'd want to be Billy. You sick Who freak. Or R. P. McMurphy, but that, that's 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 like that's too much to ask for, right? You gotta. <laughs> I know the producer's name. I can make that happen. I would either I would either be Martini or Mr. Turkle, who is Scatman Crothers. But no, you um, gotta be you gotta be Harding, man. You've been doing that Harding line forever. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, we're never gonna get All this right. done if we keep start quoting uh, Cuckoo's Nest, which I could do all night. Jim, give us your number five. All right, let me let me try to get into a little character here. What do you care? What I think anyway. I don't even count, right? I could disappear forever and it wouldn't make any difference. I might as well not even exist at this school. Remember? Love it. Love it. Nick, I, did I stump you? Are you are you going Breakfast Club? The Breakfast Club. You see wow. us as you want. That's now, a great that's a great suggestion. Well, it's funny. So I thought of this and then Barry, who does the podcast, who does the script reads with us, he he just did me a, br- a brain dump. He sent me 25 movies, Barry name drop. But it was it was on it was on both of our lists. So here's my only problem with it. There is if you include the janitor, um, there's only seven leads and that's not parents or whatever. You got the kids, you got the principal, you got the janitor. So it's light on cast. So it would be an intimate thing. But again, I think it checks a lot of the boxes. You know, it puts some more females in play, which is always a nice thing to see because we've been kind of male heavy on the ones we've been doing. Um, but I think it would be, I mean, again, it would be an intimate script and it's, uh, you know, it's so recognizable. Yeah. I mean, Breakfast Club is on my honorables list. So that's funny. That's so that's another one that you guys were all, this is why we're all together on this episode because we're all so aligned. The only thing I would say to that, Jim, is like, I didn't realize that you were such a fan of that movie. I mean, I know, I, I knew you liked it, but I didn't know if that was like one of your movies. Cause like I, when I said that to myself, I was like, I don't know if Jim loves this one. That's why I moved it off my five. 
Slaps. So. I tell you what, the the best compliment I can give Breakfast Club is this. A lot of people like, well, you know, I'll ask somebody if they saw a movie and they'll be like, I saw it with you. And I'm like, would you think I could possibly remember where I was or who I was with every single movie? The Breakfast Club, I can intimately remember. We I watched it at Weed Road. I think I, I watched it with Bake and with Kevin. And you know, it was probably a VHS tape into our top loading VHS <laughs> machine. And I, and I watched it and I was like, man, I cannot believe this movie got by me. This movie's brilliant. It's brilliantly written. I like these people. It's got, you know, it's got Rusty in it. And I was like, it, this yeah. is, this is an unbelievable movie. And, but I, I remember it so clear. Yeah. I'm a big breakfast club, a closet okay. breakfast club fan. I love it. All right. Um, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to do mine and then we'll go to the, the next round. So here's my quote. <clears throat> you ever had sex with an animal, Jack? Remember <laughs> those chickens on the Indian reservation? There were some good looking chickens, you know, between us. Excellent. And I don't know why that's not on my list, but it, that that is a good one. It's it's a midnight run for Christ's sake. Midnight run. Um, De Niro, Charles Grodin. So here here's the deal. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, the characters are phenomenal. You got Jack Walsh. You got the Duke. You got Jimmy Serrano. You got Marvin Dorfler. Um, I don't think, to your point, Jim, that there's it's a huge cast. So I think that would be one of the things I would say. You know, it's on the smaller end of of the kind of movie that we would do. Um, but great characters that you do have. Um, the quotability factor is huge. I mean, I, we've quoted that movie all the time. The dialogue is superb. Um, I think that Midnight Run, I think it's just a matter of when. Yeah. Nick, how do you feel about Midnight Run? Just curious. It's a very cool selection. That's that's one. I the, Both of you guys just named off ones that like I probably would have put on my list had I thought about them going into it. You know, Midnight, Midnight Run being a great show. Breakfast Club, I can't believe I missed that. Okay, um, let's keep going. Nick, give us your fourth, number four. Well, we, you know, we haven't really talked about super stylized scripts or, you know, and I kind of feel like to a degree, like because we've taken on the on ourselves to be costume driven and prop driven and, and kind of take on that kind of stuff. I almost feel like super stylized scripts really would work, even though it, or ordinarily when we did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I didn't really think in that vein. So my fourth one, I kind of thought, what if we went into the old wild, wild west? What if we did? tombstone what if we went full-on very quotable i you know like you tell him i'm coming and hell's coming with me right let's i'm your huckleberry let's let's freaking go if we're gonna do it let's do the most quotable western of the freaking 90s let's with the big big characters you're talking doc holiday you're talking about Curly Bill, you're talking about the whole Earp clan. Let's wear the hats, the garb. Let's get out there and let's be cowboys and let's do the gunfight of the Old Curly Corral on Zoom and let's let's be let's be freaking uh, the Earps. All right, don't don't virtually throw anything at me right now. But here's the little problem I have with Tombstone because they, this is the year they made two movies, right? They Correct. had the duel. What was the other one called? You had Tombstone. What was Wyatt Earp? So like is is tombstone is tombstone Val Kilmer or is that Wyatt Earp? Tombstone is Val Kilmer. So give me so give me the whole cast. Give me the cast. I'm just trying to put myself mentally into this movie. What you had Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer was Doc Holliday. Kurt Russell played Wyatt Earp. Kurt Russell. Okay. I think I think it's a great choice. I I love I love the idea of doing a western. Maybe more than I like doing Tombstone because I'm not as I'm not as invested into Tombstone. That doesn't mean I can't be. Maybe that's the one I narrate. But I think an idea of doing a Western is a fantastic idea. I've got a Western on my honorable mention list. I've got two, actually. Great minds, Nick. 
Love it. Well, I, here's what I'll say, and I'm probably going to get some hate mail here. I'm not a fan of Tombstone. Um, oh. Now, admittedly, I've only seen the movie maybe twice. What? Um, I saw it in the theater. I didn't care for it. And listen, you guys both know me. I love Westerns. Um, but that movie, just I, I, I never understood why so many people loved it as much as they did. So Tombstone is going to be a hard sell for me. Um, but you know, I, but yeah, as far as honorables go, I do have a Western on my list. You could probably guess what it might be, but we'll get to that when we talk about some honorables at the end. Um, Jim, give us your number four. I was whispering your, your movie into the microphone. Um, well, Dennis, I know, you know, one of the movies that's on my list. So what, what kind of a game would you want to play with it? Should I just do it now and get it over with? Sure. All right. Um, see these guys, Pete Rizzo and Sammy B. They work all day and they drink all night for 40 effing years. Two weeks out of the year, they take a vacation and go to the Cape. What do they do? They drink all day and they drink all night. If we don't step it up, we're going to wind up just like them. Got free apps. You knew, Thank you. Free apps. Thank you, you, knew, you knew that was going to be on my list, right? Beautiful girls. Beautiful girls. Um, I love it. It's not on mine, but it's on my honorables list. And it was very close to making my top five. And I will also say this month is the... I think it's the 25th anniversary of, of Beautiful Girls. I don't know why I know that, but I think it came out in in 96. Um, I love that movie. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all in on Beautiful Girls. So if that's what we end up deciding, uh, Nick, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say to that is, you know, you only saw that movie fairly recently. So it's not like you have the the love of that film that my brother and I share. I love it. Uh, well, I did love it. It's uh, it's on HBO Max right now for anybody that hasn't seen it. But uh, it's it's an interesting genre. It's it's definitely like a, a genre that like I think you could probably speak to it at length. It's a movie that all kind of guys are kind of dr- drawn to in a certain way. Yeah. It's kind of got that fun vibe. It's also got it's the guy coming home to his high school buddies, and you got that ensemble going on, and they do fun things, and it's got a lot of. You know, it's very dialogue heavy. It's not action heavy. There's a couple action scenes. It's, it's got a lot of working for it in the right way. Um, there's a lot of like you could you can envision like certain people doing certain fun things. I'm thinking the Michael Rappaport character. Um, I think what's what's interesting is like Dennis actually texted like a month ago that he's like, I'm just going to tell you, Beautiful Girls is on my list. And then like he now he takes it off. It's in the honorables. And Jim puts it in. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The strategy behind that. You basically inceptioned your brother into putting Beautiful Girls on his list so that you could come up with an extra slot for your top five is what you did. I'm calling you out. I, I, I think that I think that's exactly what I did. Um, listen, I'm all I'm all about that movie. I love that film. And if, if that's what we end up doing, um, I'm all in. Um, my number four, as I said earlier, it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I'm not going to spend any more time talking about that. We, we, we did that. Um, I think it's great. I, I would love to do that at some point. I think the, the only thing I would say about that film is that it's fairly serious. I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, there's some comedic elements to it. But as Jim mentioned earlier, that we, we try to do movies that are somewhat entertaining. Um, and what I think what he means by that is, is something that's maybe on a little bit more of the lighthearted side. And it's just because it's more fun. But I do think something that's pretty heavy like that might be a little bit tougher to do, but also an opportunity. So uh, that being said, number three, Nick, what do you got? Uh, well, number three, greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing you he didn't exist. The usual suspects. I'm talking, we go Christopher McQuarrie script. It's outstanding. It's got a big time ensemble. Just think about the lineup of the dudes having to say, give me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. And like in, in the, the ways we go into that, it's going to be hilarious. It's talking about character roles. There's what is there like nine or ten big time character roles in this thing? It's it's another one. 
Uh, it, it definitely meets the coolness factor. If you're talking about a cool script, it's entertaining. Very cool. It's it's a well written script. If you want to like, if you want to just get like some of the fun of this is like diving into the minutia of the script. Macquarie is a, a master, right? So it's it's layered. It's it keeps you guessing till the end. Obviously, we've all seen it 20, 30 years, so you know how to. But like, if you're seeing it for the first time, he kept you guessing right all the way up, and and, and it's brilliant. So, script that won the Oscar, I believe. Um, so that's another Oscar winner that's on the list. Um, I'm not a. I've only seen that movie a couple of times, so it's not one of those films that I revere. Um, Jim, I'm not sure if if you're you're the same, but I, we probably even talk together. <laughs> well, it's a it's a solid choice, and Nick, I, I tell you what, it, it deserves its place on our list of movies to consider. Whether I think it's the coolest movie or not, it is. It's a super cool movie. It's got super cool casts. I can see people having fun with the with the with the the costuming and the delivery and their backgrounds and all of that kind of stuff. It is uh, it's a it's an excellent movie. How many how many leads would you say are would be in that? I mean, who how many primaries? Off the top of my head, like ten, because you've got like the actual yeah. usual suspects and they got the detective, uh, you know, going after them. Is it, it's all is it an all male cast? I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. There's not going to be any. Uh, no, it's not even that's it. That's everything. We're 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 pointing a. <laughs> we're we're definitely noticing that the like how few women characters are in these great films. Like, what's wrong with Hollywood for crying out loud? Write some damn women characters for us in our favorite movies. No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of that. That's that that's a real that's a really smart choice for this. I I'm, it is. I'm, I agree. Yeah, I agree. that's that's your your pick of the night so far. I think as far as I'm concerned. But okay, who's up? Am I up? number three? Um, I'm going to pick it before somebody else picks it. Um, All right. Here's the quote. They beat up on a weakling. That's all they did. The rest is just smoke-filled coffee house crap. They tortured and tormented a weaker kid. They didn't like him, so they killed him. Why? Because he couldn't run very fast. Got a little bit into Kendra Weinberg there. A few good men. Little Aaron Sorkin. I was waiting for that. I knew that would be on your list. Had to be. It was on my list. I deliberately didn't put it on my list because – Dennis suggested that possibly Jim would put it on his few good men. One of my all time favorites, Aaron Sorkin gotta be like top two of my favorite writers. That being such a quotable script, such a great one, tons of characters, lots of smart things going on. It's entertaining. It's it's also got some serious elements. We do well, guys, a couple of readings we've done. We've had some really good, nice dramatic moments in these readings. Yeah. we, we We pull that off. Okay. We're gonna have to bring Renner back in. Yeah, oh. we're bring Renner. We're gonna have to bring the other the two mats. That's gonna be the two mat show in that. Uh, listen, I I think a few good men is a great choice. I'm not surprised by it. Um, I'm all about it. I think it's a great script. It's it's one that everybody knows very well. Um, I think we would have no problem getting that one off the ground pretty pretty soon. So I do think that's uh you know on the list. I think that's got to be pretty high up there. I, I see Nick. I see Nick as Kendrick. Keep keep for Sutherland. <laughs> I want to see you place the evil. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this going. Uh, here's my quote. Well, you just fulfilled the first rule of law enforcement. Make sure when your shift is over, you go home alive. Here endeth the lesson. Untouchables, 1997. 1987, got them off. This will be our second David Mamet film. Uh, Untouchables, uh, great characters. You got Elliot Ness, you got Malone, Capone, Wallace. Uh, the lines are totally memorable it's david mamet it's tremendous dialogue um i think this is probably one that you guys are a little bit surprised by but i think this is a phenomenal script for for us to read 
Well, you know I adore the Untouchables, so I'm, I'm yeah, I do I'm, too. I, I think it's a great pick. I am surprised by it because I wouldn't think that it fits the mold of what we do. But I mean, it, it is great characters. The costumes would be hard. It's a period piece. A costume. It would be. I mean, there's weapons, Nick. I don't know. You'd need extra time to get ready for that. I mean, I mean Nick, Nick, time. I, I can be ready tomorrow, but um, I feel I feel like yeah. Is there is there too much action? Like the famous scene in that the the baby carriage going down the stairs with the music and all that stuff. How do we recreate that? Because we would have to. We we could certainly try and do something fun with it. Uh, I see a lot of I see a lot of room for opportunity. It's also a fantastic choice. Is it is it dialogue-y enough? Is it too action heavy? I don't know. Like there was, there was talk about us trying to up our game with sound effects. So I think that would be a perfect vehicle that we'd have to roll out some sound effects. Like I mean, it's almost like where we have a narrator and then we have another guy that we charge with. You do nothing but sound effects. So highlight your script and be ready at a moment's notice for gunshots and and uh, baby carriages. I don't know. Oh, that's a great idea. If we choose this movie, I know that night Jim is going to get on Amazon and buy fake Tommy guns, and he'll be sending me pictures of that momentarily. Um, I do think I do think there's a, a decent amount of action in that movie, but, movie. But I actually watched it fairly recently, and it's it's got a lot of dialogue. And I think I do think that we would you'd be pleasantly surprised. Anyway, that's mine. Uh, let's go to number two. Nick. Okay. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. This was uh, something somebody suggested during the Oceans reading. It hit me, and it was like, oh, my God. Yes, it's stylized, but the more I kind of want big characters so that if everybody's playing a role, they're playing a big character role, where else to look than the Princess Bride? My goodness, everybody in it is going to be an ultra stylized big character. You want to own the role. This is a film that you can certainly own the role. We've got some super iconic big time roles to do. There's a lot we could do with it, uh, even from an action standpoint. I know one of the things as an actor, I did in acting class, uh, the sword fight between uh, you know Wesley and, and Inigo. Maybe we do a virtual sword fight. We've done crazier things in these Zoom calls. I don't know. I think Princess Bride. I heard somebody suggest it, and immediately as soon as I heard it, I thought it's in the list. And I can't. And and I couldn't pull it off the list. It's a it's a super. It is a super fun movie. It is the, out of all the what the movies that we've listed tonight, and there's some great ones. I think that one tops for most fun. It's the most. It's the most fun movie, and it might not actually be the most recognizable movie of all the ones we've done tonight. So I think that I think that's an excellent choice. I can't I can't shoot any holes in that one. I think that I think that's great. Jim, what do you got? Um I'm, I'm still uh, in awe of the uh Princess Bride. <laughs> um all right, so I tried to come up with an abstract quote so you guys wouldn't be able to guess it right away. Um sometimes it still hurts. You know how it is, man. It's like you wake up every day and it hurts a little bit less, and then you wake up one day and it doesn't hurt at all. And the funny thing is is that well this is kind of weird, but it's like it's like you almost miss the pain. I love it. Jim, let me let me give you a quote and then we'll we'll discuss this on your list. You're a big winner. I'm gonna ask you a simple question and I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino, huh? Mikey, that's who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. <laughs> I mean, everybody's gonna want to be Trent though. I mean, we're gonna have to put names in a hat. For everybody that's going to want to be Trent. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Swingers Swingers was number two for me. I'm right on the same page with you. That was my only concern about the movie. It's got, it's the movie's money. And that's, and that's no joking. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the more 90s movies that were quoted than any other that I can think of. But it's got a really small cast. Really small cast. And, and I wouldn't say it's two characters that are going to be like the ones that everybody wants to be. You either want to be, you know, Vince or you want to be, you know, you know my, and that's it. And like outside of those, like there's, it drops off steep after that. Like there's not going to be like, there's not going to be a ton of dudes that you want to be besides one of those two guys. Like that's, you know, that's so, because I thought about swingers at length because it fits a lot of my bucket, except for the fact that it's not a big enough ensemble. The, the ensemble isn't isn't used enough. I, I don't, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree, but I don't think those are enough. That those are enough grounds for us to not consider it. I do think it's one of those movies. That everybody quotes. It's just one of those movies of the nineties. Right. And you know, yeah. everybody quoted that movie for such a long time. And I think there will be a blast to do, but I, but I agree. That's only a couple of plum parts and everything else is going to be fairly secondary. So, well, I mean, if I could add, it's just that when you pick something and again, I had swingers down, I had like five primary leads. I was probably counting Heather Graham as a lead, but it's, you know, it's when, when we pick swingers, I think of all the faces for our, our beloved Ocean's Eleven cast and calling them up and saying, hey, sorry, guys, your efforts are not needed on this specific night because we've chosen a smaller vehicle to do. And it's like, what do you, you know, then I'm looking at the heartbreak and they're like, well, you didn't find us. There's nothing for me to do. Nothing. We have nothing. You could be the waitress in Vegas if you want. Well, OK, I'll do it. But, you know, then I think then what's going to happen then to Dennis and Nick is that maybe we I break my own rule. Maybe we let people participate. Maybe we let people watch, like maybe our cast of characters, even if they don't get cast that night, they still want to be part of the fun. Because I got to tell you what, if you guys it said I'm out, I'm sitting this one out, I would still be sitting there with my glass of wine watching the festivities because I tell you what, it's more fun than watching a movie on a Thursday night. So, but I'm not sure if we're up to that or not, but that's, I guess that would be my, I know this was my pick, but going with a smaller cast, you don't get as many people involved and maybe it's not as fun or it's, it's a different kind of fun. Yep. I agree. Anyway. Um, all right, let's uh, last round. Nick, take us to the to the finish line. What's your number one? I I think with this one, my my number one here is probably if I was picking like this is one of I mean I like all these movies a lot, but if I was to say like what's your if, if the question was different, if the question was like what are your top three favorite films of all time, this would probably be in one of those buckets. And this is also the most recent of the the films I chose. Um, and I don't know if you're going to be able to pull this quote. It's a little bit obscure, but you know, why would a reviewer, you know, make the point of saying that someone is especially not a genius? <laughs> you think I'm not a genius? You didn't even take any time. Have, have I seen huge, this movie? I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. And so, like, a lot of this for me is, like, looking at the screenwriters and picking out, like, a script of the writers. So, like, obviously, I'd go with Mamet. Would have gone Sorkin for sure. But also, like, I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan, like his scripts. And if you're picking, you know, like Tarantino, like, if you're going to pick one of his movies, which one makes the most sense? Royal Tenenbaums. I mean, it's got a massive ensemble, super quotable, big-time characters to play, a lot of uh, layers to the script itself. So it's it's smart, it's, it's funny, it's quirky funny. The quirky actually helps in this case because, it, you know, it, add, it adds to what you can kind of bring to the reading um, if costumes are playing a role in this, like Wes Anderson spends a lot of time thinking about costumes and all the scripts too. And like Tenenbaums kind of checks a lot of the boxes there. Um, if I was to pick of the Wes Andersons, I'd probably go Tenenbaums before I would go Rushmore or, uh, Life Aquatic, which are the other films that I love, uh, or Darjeeling Limited, which is another good one. Um, but I, I feel like, I feel like I might go that route. Um, 
Maybe not as much as Princess Bride, but I feel like I liked it. Yeah. Dennis, weren't you and I just talking about that as a possible? We were. I mean, I, I love Royal Tenenbaums. That's my favorite Wes Anderson film. I, I agree with everything Nick said about why it makes sense. It's got great characters, great dialogue. It's a great movie to do a reading for. But it's one of those films that, you know, I think, Jim, I don't know if you love it as much as I do. And, and that's something that should carry weight in terms of making sure that it's a movie that, you know, you feel like you, you have a, a really good relationship with. And if you don't, then it's one of those films that we shouldn't do. That's that's just how I look at it. Well, so. I don't know. I mean, I I agree, but then I disagree. So it's like that. I don't think me not having a love affair with that movie is enough of a reason not to do it. I mean, I, I'm all for the fun. And it's like <laughs> that's a perfect movie for me to sit out and be the narrator on. Because you know what? We all got to take our turn being a narrator because you're the unsung hero. We got done the other night. The first thing I did was I, I thanked Ken Kemp because he did a lot of heavy lifting with being the narrator on Ocean's Eleven. So, I mean, again, I would gladly volunteer my services for something that I'm not as passionate about as you find gentlemen, but that's my opinion. Got it. Also All right, a good well, start to be the narrator for, because there's a whole Alec Baldwin monologue as the narrator in that thing, which is pretty good. Yeah. yeah there's actual narration in, in the film itself, which is makes it even a nice, a nice added layer. Um, Jim, what do you got? Well, first off, Nick, so you're saying you dressed up tonight as Jack Ryan and, and red October is not on your list. So you just like, you fake left and went right. <laughs> I didn't go Jack Ryan. I, <laughs> Dennis put that on me. I'll gladly take it. <laughs> I thought That's like I thought like I'm following Brad Adgate on this freaking show. Like I got to show up with a little bit of class and sophistication. So I thought pocket square and smoking jacket, and I'm going to come and try and be presentable because I'm I'm following where this guy left off, and this guy's like the king of Forbes magazine for crying out loud. I got to be a little bit classy on this thing. So I got to I got to show up a little bit. Turtleneck, right? Smoking jacket. This is Belton, right. my friend. It's Hold on, I got to take, take a screen capture of you. As I'm going to have a debate with my my Facebook friends tomorrow. Is Nick dressed as Jack Ryan? Hold on, it's totally Jack Ryan. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to. It can't even be debated. He totally looks like Jack Ryan at the beginning of Red October. It's it's like that's totally. slam dunk. I'm going to do a um, side photo thing on Facebook, Nick. Don't worry about. It. I'm going to take care of everything. All right, my my number one. I mean, I'm sure you know what you, you know where I'm going with this. Um, 1994, eight leads. Watch ye, therefore, for ye not know when the master of the house cometh. Yep. I had a feeling that might be your number one. Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Okay. I mean, I could have went. Well, I'm not going to go through honorable mentions. But, yeah, I mean, I guess the the thing for Shawshank, again, you know, I I guess I could say it's not a feel-good movie, even though I don't think there's a movie that makes me feel as good as Shawshank at the end. So, I mean, I guess I would make the argument that it is a fun movie. It is a good feel-good movie. Um, It's got a lot of great dialogue. There's a lot of great leads. Um, I think it's it's just a perfect thing. So, now, if I can can shoot bullets into it, I think we get into another problem. Problem is a strong word. I think when we did Christmas Story, you've got – somebody narrating and then you've got somebody narrating. So I think that this, because Morgan Freeman, you might get tangled up in that a little bit. And I think maybe Dennis, when you do your, your script polish, maybe we got to figure out a way to, to make it not so much the, the narrator so that, you know, that red gets to do more. But anyway, that, I think that's the only thing that I see wrong with it. It's also, it's also like six and a half years long, right? I mean, Jesus, like, we're going to be reading this thing. We got to start that thing at like 12 noon because we're going to be reading that thing till three in the morning for crying out loud. It's a, it's, it's not a, it's not a little script. And then whoever's transcribing that sucker, he needs like a team of assistants transcribing underneath him. 
I mean, listen, it's a, it's a beloved film. It, you know, I, I've, I've told people this in the past. My very first job out of college was working at a PR firm and we did the PR for the Shawshank Redemption. So I got to read that screenplay and it's without a doubt one of the very best scripts I've ever read. Um, yeah. I think I read it twice in a weekend. That's how much I, I loved it. So, um, I, I'm not going to argue against Shawshank. It's definitely a heavy movie. It's, it's a serious movie, but we haven't done one of those quite just yet. And I, I like the idea of doing something like that. That's a bit of a departure for us. And, and again, it's a movie that everybody knows intimately well, and I can't argue any of that. So, okay. Um, number one for me, and then we're going to make some decisions. Ooh. And I will say that I think this one is a, a departure and I think you guys are going to be pleasantly surprised about this choice, but you'll hear me out. Vern didn't just mean being off limits inside the junkyard or fudging on our folks or going on a hike up the road to Harlow. He meant those things, but it seems to me now it was more than that. And we all knew it. Everything was there and around us. We knew exactly where we were going. It was grand. I'm all in. Stand by me. Yeah, I'm all in. I think I think that again, intimate, very intimate movie. But it's a it's a it's a it's a great it's a great. I mean, five guys. If there's five people in the group, there's four people in the group. Four people. There's, there's, four, there's four kids, and then you've got you know Kiefer Sutherland, right. Ace. You've got the narrator, Richard Dreyfus. I mean, there's a lot of secondary characters. I do think it does have a a bigger ensemble beyond the just the key four. But certainly, um, I think there's enough for people to do. Yeah, it's great. I'm surprised. I'm surprised by that answer slap. I got to tell you what. I mean, it's it's a it's a solid solid choice. I mean, it really is. But I'm su- I'm surprised that was your number one. I just I love I I love the dialogue. I think it's one of those movies that's kind of timeless. And I think that there's something interesting about us. You know, a lot of us playing you know younger characters, which we did in the Christmas Story, which we had a lot of fun with. And and I think this is a movie that everybody again just knows so well and has quoted it so many times. And and I I also think that the, the music element of it is pretty interesting. And that there's probably a way that we could probably tie that into. Our, our reading as well. So, all right, listen, I, I wrote everybody's down. So I'm, I'm going to do a quick recap and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, yeah. Nick had one flew over the cuckoo's nest. He had tombstone, the usual suspects, the princess bride and the Royal Tenenbaums. Jim, you had breakfast club, beautiful girls, a few good men, swingers and the Shawshank redemption. I had midnight run one flew over the cuckoo's nest, the untouchables swingers and stand by me. Wow. Wow. I don't know how we're going to make this decision, but I, I, I'll, I'll start. I'll, I guess I'll start and then let's just take it from there. If I had to like select a few of those as like top candidates for us to do, I would, I would choose the breakfast club. I would choose beautiful girls because I just think it's such a fun, fun script. I would choose Shawshank. I would choose midnight run and I would choose stand by me. Okay. Okay. What do you guys think? Give me your give me your like short list. Go ahead, Nick. I'm thinking. I mean, I I I, I think that like we got a oh that's tough. I think that maybe Princess Bride would I would probably revisit that on the criteria. I would I would say Breakfast Club, and I think that A Few Good Men. I'm really glad you brought that one up. I feel like, geez, we could probably. I mean, all 15 of these are. are I feel pretty good about. I think that when you're trying to whittle it down one over the other, like, let's just say we're not we're saying we're never going to do these. Like we've got this list, but I would say like, all right, we had some success here the last two readings with Christmas Story and with um, you know Ocean's Eleven when we brought in you know some of the female characters. Let's try and not pick one that's going to leave out some of those. Now that we brought that in, we should probably like expand on that. 
Um, but I really, oh man, when you say, when you say to bre- suggested breakfast club, it was kind of like one of those, like, why didn't I, why didn't I come to that one on my own? Like just kind of jumped out as like, oh, that's an obvious one. It's just one of those obvious, if you told people we're doing a reading of that, I, I, I think a lot of people would be immediately kind of drawn to the idea that I keep coming back to that one. Um, can't disagree. Let me throw out a crazy concept. Just let me get it out. What if we were to pick two? And what if we were to cast two films simultaneously? That way nobody is getting, you know, nobody's getting slighted. We're like, look, our next two vehicles out of the gate, one and two. And again, I'm just volunteering Dennis for the work again. But one and two out of the gate, we're doing Breakfast Club and we're doing Beautiful Girls. We're doing Stand By Me and we're doing Beautiful Girls. But there's two vehicles and we go to our our, our usual suspects and we, we load the cast and we're like, look, if you're not getting this, you're getting this. Like we want every we want everybody to play, and then we offer the invitation that says, you know what? If you're not cast, we still want you to be part of our thing. We want you to be part of the thing, but you understand we can't rewrite it and put parts in. We can't invent characters and say you're Billy the janitor if there's no janitors. But I, I, it's just something to do. I mean, we don't we want to be cognizant of people's feelings and all this, and we want to have as much fun as we can and as much interaction as we can. That's just I'm throwing it out there. No, I love it. I mean, and if anything, it just it sets us up for the next two months, and we know what we're what we're working towards. So I, I think that's great. We if we choose to today, and we get started on getting the scripts done and get get these things cast, I think that gives everybody something to look forward to. So Jim, if you had to choose, I guess let's let's drill it down even further. If you had to choose your two, what would they be? All right, Dennis. To your question, I would say I guess my two would be I would probably pick you know one big one that had like a lot of characters in it. And then I would pick maybe a small one to counteract it if it's not as many characters. I would go Beautiful Girls, and I only like I only say Beautiful Girls because it's got I think it's got four female leads. And as much as we would like to tap Amy and bring her back, I think to have some more females in the cast would be wonderful. Hoping that she would be one of them. But I think Beautiful Girls has got you know it's got eleven people. It's it would be our first you know I guess romantic comedy. So I guess we would check the box on that genre. And then maybe we maybe you know from that maybe we throw in. Um, you know, maybe we throw in a stand by me because we really haven't done a movie like that before. Knowing that we're not saying no to any of the movies on Nick's list. We're going to, we want to do this. I want to start. We don't want to crank one of these out every day, but I think we're like, we're like on a once a month pace. We talked about maybe going once every three weeks, if we can get Dennis some writing help. But anyway, that that's my, I think stand by me and beautiful girls. I, These are heavy hitters. I, Listen, I Jim and I have not talked about this before this podcast, so I'm going to be completely honest about that. But I, I think those are two great choices. Um, Beautiful Girls almost made my top five. Um, love the film, so I don't need to say anything else about that. And Stand By Me, not because it's one that I chose, but I, I think it's just a, a very different kind of film, you know. And it's one of those movies that's about childhood, and it's something that we can all relate to. And you know, I remember I remember watching that when I was when I was younger, when when I was 15 or whatever it was when I when it came out, and there's just something really bittersweet about that film. And, and, and I love that, that element. It's a Stephen King story and great characters, great dialogue. I think that would be a bit of a departure for us. And I think people would have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I think we got it. I, I agree. I think, I think those are the two. Okay. I won't do, wow. I, I won't do stand by me unless I'm Dreyfus. I'm just going to throw that out there now. <laughs> I won't do it. So, I mean, I wish you guys a good script read, but I will not, you won't see my face unless I'm Dreyfus. So I feel that strongly about it. Well, um, have your agent you know, call mine and we'll, we'll get a deal done, as they say, and we'll, we'll take it from there. So listen, guys, this was, this was a ton of fun. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I, I, you know, what I will also throw out to our listeners is that, listen, if, if, 
you're the kind of person that wants to be a part of something like this, um, reach out to us. You know, let let us know if if you want to be a part of a, a future screenplay reading and you feel like you you've got what it takes to to do this. And believe me, I don't even think I have what it takes because I'm I'm not I'm not an actor, but I'm having fun with it. But please, like, reach out to us, find us, track us down on LinkedIn, or you know, we have a we have a Facebook page for this podcast. Uh, shoot us a note. Let us know if this is something you want to be a part of. We we welcome new people and new faces and. Um, that's how this thing has, has grown as much as it has. Um, any parting thoughts, Nick and Jim, before I, I let you guys go? No, this has been this has been a ton of fun, and uh, I know we've talked about you know maybe doing one of these things like with a live stream Facebook crossover event. Um, I know the technology is there. Um, it's not that's not the reason we haven't done it. I know it becomes less intimate now when all of these other people are involved. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to take away from what makes it great. So I'm I'm up for anything. I'm I'm up for trying anything. But again, I, I the magic hit last week for me, and I feel like we were running on all cylinders. And I just want to keep I want to keep it there. I mean that's that's my thing. Like so now I've seen it. I've seen the light, and I just want I want to keep it at that level. That's all. I love it. Love it, Nick. Anything? Anything to add? I hope I hope we do this for another freaking thirty years. I think this is it's it's like the best, and I feel like it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep growing, and I feel like we just gotta. Uh, just like ride this freaking wave as, as, as far as it'll take us um, I'm all in um, but yeah it's a lot of fun and it's it's fun hanging out with you guys you camlicks are classy guys I thoroughly enjoy these evenings and I'm excited to see where this thing goes guys beautiful girls and stand by me are in the queue I guess that's my cue <laughs> that I better get started with those scripts I want to give a shout out to John Carpenter you and your family are in our thoughts brother we love you guys thank you thanks for listening everybody stay cool stay cool forever <laughs>